Um, but Romans declares here that, of course, you know, you, if you go through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 starts out with Jesus Christ is the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of Christ. Chapter 2 says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, that judges, particularly speaking to the Jews. Chapter 3, we're all guilty before God. Chapter 4, we're justified, declared righteous by faith, like Abraham was declared righteous by faith. And, of course, chapter 5 goes on and talks more about that, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he comes to chapter 6, and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? I mean, if we're justified, shall we continue in sin? Just live in sin. That, after all, it's all of grace, and grace abounds. So let's just continue in sin. If we sin more, then there'll be more grace. That's thinking of many. But he says again, God forbid. And the phrase there, we would say, perish the thought. That's unthinkable. And he, and, he, and he asks a question to that. How that are we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And he uses an illustration in this passage to, to, to typify that. In verse 9 where it says that knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So Christ has only died, only died one time. He will only die one time. He's not going to die again. And so, you know, if we are, if we are dead to sin, if we've been declared righteous by God, reckoned dead, to sin, to the power of sin, why would we live any longer there? In other words, why would that be our lifestyle? Why would we continue to, to disregard the commands of God and live any way we want? And we see here, he gives three, there's three ye's. Know ye, verse three. Uh, there's also... Um, uh, reckon ye and yield ye in this passage. Uh, know ye is in verse uh, 3. Verse 11 is reckon ye and 13 is yield ye. And I want to look at those tonight. Know ye. You know, again, there's no reward for ignorance. A lot, this is all, of course, by knowledge. We gain salvation through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. You know, some people have this idea that you don't need to know anything really about God to be saved. No, that's not true. You know, in our, for some of us, some of us that grew up in church, a church, hearing truths about the Word of God, we kind of take for granted that we understand that Jesus is God. Some of you young people heard that all your life. So you take for granted that, you're like, oh yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course he is. You know, you go out there in the world, and the, really the, the average person, they don't know anything about who Jesus is. I mean, their knowledge probably more than, than anything else, he, he's a curse word. They don't know who he is. They don't know that he's the Son of God, that he was the God-man, that he was God in the flesh, that he lived a 
perfect sinless life, that he could not sin, that he is the Almighty. They don't understand that. And so there are some things we need to know and understand. He says, know ye, verse 3, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. And again, understanding that it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life, that he is the life, the truth, and the way. And, and so we need to have knowledge of him, of who he is. Uh, and we are buried with him. It is Christ that died. In other words, not just Jesus, a man, but Christ, the God-man that died. In other words, God died for the sins of the world. Somebody said only an eternal God could pay the sins for all eternity. Only eternal God could give, offer eternal life. And the Bible says here that, verse 4, that wherefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. So he gives three, three metaphors or word pictures to explain this. Of course, buried with him. It was Christ that died. It was buried. Uh, he uses the word planted together. When you Again, when you plant something, you bury a seed expecting uh, fruit. And Jesus spoke of this concerning himself in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, uh, in verse 20, it says, There were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Same came therefore to Philip, which was up the Seda of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, so he answers these Greeks, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, you would think, oh wow, we're going to see something great here. He says, the, son of, the hour has come that he should be glorified. Notice what he says, Except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life, shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life, a life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honored. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Of course, he was talking about his own death and being buried. But just like a corn of wheat that's put in the ground, it, it, if it's not put in the ground, you know it abides alone. That, that seed cannot reproduce or bring forth fruit if it's not buried. Christ could not bring forth fruit unto salvation in your life and mine unless he was put to death and buried. No more can we bring forth fruit. No more can we bring have eternal life if we don't die to self. And that's what he says here. If any man, if any man, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. In other words, that's speaking of death to self. Death to self. And so, planted together, 
verse 5. We've been planned together in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his rest. Crucified with him, verse 6, again speaks of death. You know, again, this is all the symbolism of baptism. When a person is baptized, the message they are giving to the world is, I am dying to self. I have died to self. I'm declaring it to the world. In Acts 2.38, Peter told the, the Jews in Jerusalem, repent and be baptized. And again, this meant it was renouncing Judaism. It was renouncing the temple worship. And that was the, 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 the reason, uh, you know, of course, you know, it meant cutting off the old life with all its passages, false religions. And the Jews that were baptized understood this. It was a cutting off. You know, we, we sometimes don't understand the, the real issue or the division that baptism has caused over the centuries. Millions have been put to death simply because of baptism. The Catholic Church murdered, martyred millions of Bible-believing Christians. Why? Because of this very issue of baptism. Because those Bible believers would not accept the baptism of the Catholic Church, nor would they submit to the baptism of the Catholic Church. So it pictures death, burial, death. It also pictures new life. Again, there's several words here. Verse 4, there's a newness of life. Therefore, we are buried with, with him by baptism of his death, like as, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, had a glorified body. A body different than the old body, the body that he had prior to his death. He still looked the same. He still had the scars in his hands and his feet. But it was a glorified body. There was a newness of life. It's a newness of state or condition. You know, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we get new life. We get new life. The life of God. We are... We are uh, as, as I believe as Colossians says, we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. We're given new life. The Lord gives meaning and purpose and direction for life. We're not without a guide or a standard. You know, the world has no standard or consistency because they are without a reliable source of truth. They have no set standard by which to follow, except what this guy believes or that guy says or this guy over here says, and you know they don't all agree. And so there's no set standard. There's no source of truth or law. And so there's this newness of life. There's also a, a resurrection likeness in verse 5, for if we've been planned together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Uh, you know, there's an interesting statement if you think about it in uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 13 when Peter and John uh, stood before the Sanhedrin and they 
were bold before him. And, the, and, and they said that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, what that means is there's a likeness there. You know, this is the same man, Peter, think about it. This, this Peter is the same man that just a few days earlier was afraid and denied he even knew the Lord. And now here he is standing before the Sanhedrin who have arrested him for preaching about the Lord Jesus. And, and, he's, and he's basically on trial and they have the power over his life, if you will, and he's boldly declaring that you know, in, in as nice as a way as can, we don't really care what you say. We're going to continue preaching in his name. You know, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. That's kind of the way Jesus was. He wasn't afraid. You know, they must have been thinking, we thought we got rid of him, and now we got these guys. There's a likeness here to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they're saying, you know, they're just like Him. They're preaching the same Him. They're demonstrating the same love for sinners and preaching the gospel and, and turning people against the law and against the temple as they accused Jesus of. So it was a likeness. A boldness, a confidence that was demonstrated. Verse 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. You see, that what that means is Peter and John were no longer afraid for their physical body. They feared God more than they feared the ones that could destroy the body. Let me read the rest of that verse. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The word destroyed here means to render idle, unemployed, inactive. Basically out of work. In other words, the body as an instrument of sin was declared out of business. Out of business. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. See, they didn't, it wasn't anymore that their, their bodies controlled them. In other words, it was the Spirit of God who dwelled within them that now controlled them and led them. Notice also the second Ye, and that is reckon ye. Verse 11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word reckon is an, as a, an accounting term. It means to compute. Uh, no is information. This is, this is calculation. Uh, we need to calculate that the old man is dead. We need to declare him dead. Uh, it's, it speaks of action. Uh, you know, we are to be dead to sin, buried and raised up to walk in newness of life. We should not serve sin. We have been set free from sin. We should live unto God, and we are to reckon it so. And, of course, the example of this is in, is in verses uh, 
7 and 8 where it says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being dead, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So, so death hath no more dominion, or death has, uh, uh, has no more power over, over Christ. He only died once, he will not die again. You know, Hebrews says that he will appear the second time without sin. Turn over there, Hebrews 9. I think it's verse 28. Yeah, Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So when he comes the second time, it's not going to be to die again. It's, it's, it's coming without sin. He's going to bring the fulfillment or the completion of our salvation, our redemption, that is the redemption of our bodies. He's only once offered. And so, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, and baptism pictures us death, Dying to self, we reckon it so as a fact with God, we are declaring the old man dead and resurrecting to new life in Christ. Therefore we are alive in God. He says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 11. Uh, you know, dead, being dead is only half of the equation. That's the negative part. The positive part is we are alive unto God. It is God which gives us power. Uh, you know, the flower is open toward the sun, but only one flower follows the sun continually, and that's the sunflower. And we need to be filled with the Spirit of God and allow the Son of God to, to manifest Himself in our life, for in Him is life. And this life was the light of men. John 1.9 says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. Colossians 3, 1-4 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. See, He is our life. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that sustains life. He is our life. George Mueller of Bristol had an orphanage of thousands of children. And he saw miracles after miracles in God providing for those orphans. And someone asked him the secret of his distinguished service to Christ. And this is what he said, quote, There was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, Tastes and will. Died to the world, its approval and censure. Died to the approval or blame of even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved unto God. Unquote. There was a day when I died. Died unto self. Resurrected to newness of life. You know, when you are dead to sin and alive unto God, what others do 
does not move you. When temptations you can comes, you can say, I'm dead. Injury, dead. Insult, dead. You know, dead men don't exhibit bad tempers, are not vindictive, do not respond to the desires of an evil solicitor. Because our penalty for sin is removed in the death of Christ, we are empowered by His resurrection to live unto God. And our motivation should be studying to show ourselves approved unto God. You know, we shouldn't worry about what the world thinks. No, we need to study to show ourselves approved. And so, we are resurrected to newness of life. Reckon ye to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. And the third thing we see here is yield ye. Verse 13. You know, this is a continual process. It doesn't stop when you get saved, it begins. It begins when you get saved. Yield ye, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The word yield means to present or to exhibit, uh, <clears throat> to surrender to. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so we are to be living exhibits, you might say, or presentations of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are, God desires of us that we be instruments of righteousness, not instruments of unrighteousness. An instrument, the word instrument here is interesting. It means a weapon. A weapon. You know, there's power in doing what's right. Somebody said, righteousness makes might. Right makes might. You know, if you have confidence and assurance that you are, if you have assurance that you are right, it gives you confidence and boldness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verses 4 through 7, 2 Corinthians 6, in verses 4 through 7, uh, Paul says this, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, stripes, and imprisonments, and tumults, and labors, and watchings, and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, and by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness. Armor of righteousness. He said, righteousness is an armor. You know, armor is something that protects you. Armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. You know, every, somebody said every act or word of righteousness is a wound to the enemy of souls. Acts of wrong advance the enemy. We see that playing out in our world. Acts of wrong that go unpunished. What do they do? They advance the enemy. You know, think of it this way. When men and women build up defenses against the truth, and many people have defenses around them against the truth. They have these ideas that they have about 
us and about God and their defenses that they build against the truth. And when we, as instruments of righteousness, act or speak of right, what we're really doing is tearing down those defenses. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? He said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the church would be storming. The idea is, is not that the, the, that, uh, uh, the devil or the gates of hell won't, won't get into the church. The idea is that the church is tearing down or, an, or advancing against the gates of hell. And so, we are to be yield our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Instruments of righteousness. We are weapons. Right conduct is a weapon of spiritual warfare that cannot be spoken against. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, if, if they understand that you, you live this way because you do what's right, because you love God, it's a weapon against their defense against the truth. And so, you know, baptism, of course, we understand. We believe in believer's baptism. Once a person is saved, that they, they, they are to follow the Lord in obedience through water baptism, which pictures not only the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but their own surrender of dying to self and resurrecting to new life. In Christ, identifying with Him, and yielding their bodies as a living sacrifice, as an instrument of spiritual warfare in the Lord's army. Yeah, we are in a battle. You know, the things that we see going on in the world are a spiritual battle. It's it's a battle between heaven and hell between right and wrong, between God and Satan. That was it, uh, I think uh, Henry Morris has a book titled uh, Satan's Long War Against God or something to that effect. You know, And it started clear back in the Garden of Eden and continues to this day. But when a person gets saved, we become, a, we become one of God's soldiers, one of His instruments, of righteousness, one of his weapons of warfare. And so, you know, that's the picture that baptism gives us. It's a, it speaks of death to self and resurrection to new life, resurrecting to an instrument of righteousness. Demonstrating the life of power and God of God in the life of a sinner saved by grace. You know, are you demonstrating that life of God 
to a lost and dying world? Are you living as that living sacrifice? Are you walking in newness of life?